0: Thank you, Jen, and and really to our outreach team who spend so much time trying to make sure uh, that we are doing a good job of of taking care of those around us, both in and outside of our congregation. Um, If you're uh, with us and you're having a good morning, tell somebody beside you good morning. morning. (laughs) If you're not, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay, though. You're still in a good place to be. It's okay to not always be doing... As good as you would like. We're going to jump right into the text this morning. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter two, and we're going to be looking at the story of the wise men. Matthew chapter two, uh, verse one. I'm going to read through verse twelve. And I'll skip to verse sixteen. So here we go. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, "Where is the newborn King of the Jews?" we saw stars it rose and we have come to worship him King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this and, and as was everyone in Jerusalem he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of, of the religious law and asked where is the Messiah supposed to be born? in Bethlehem in Judea they said for this is what the prophet wrote and you O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time in which the star first appeared. He told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the Weisman's report of the star's first appearance. So we all are on a journey, right? I mean, we all have journeys that we're taking. We all have been on a journey either to Christ or searching for Christ. And one of the things that is probably true about all of us are that our, our journeys, they're all a little different. Uh, some of you may have been raised in a christian home and and maybe you don't know if there's a time that you can remember that you you weren't a follower of jesus or weren't a christian Uh, some of you you might have kind of woke up one day and you realize like something is is missing in my life uh i i need the lord things aren't great maybe your life is just really broken uh maybe jesus will help i need a little god in my life Uh, and and so you, you wake up, you maybe open your Bible, you go to church, you talk to your godly friends or people who seem to know what they're talking about, whatever that might be, and you begin to discover Jesus or you begin to follow Jesus or you join a church or whatever that might look like. Uh, some of you might like been like me. I was a middle school boy when I came to faith in Jesus. I had no idea I needed Jesus. Uh, I was raised in a typical kind of middle-class family. My parents were together, life was good. My cousin invited me to church on a Wednesday night. I'm like, there's church on Wednesday night? Uh, sure, I, I didn't know, um, and went for a year, and at that point, I felt like the Lord called me to himself and was saved, decided to follow Jesus. After that, um, I felt a call to ministry in high school, and, and so you know, those, those teenage years were pretty transformative. In my life, and um, I was doing what I could to follow Jesus, very imperfectly as a teenager does. Um, After that, you know, I go to to college, go to university, and there I major in Bible and religion, a a psych minor. So I'm just kind of interested in all of those sorts of things. And and during that time, is the early 2000s. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. um, Kind of the early to mid, I guess, like 2004 is when I graduated high school. So um, you kind of giving you a timeline here. Some of you are going, no, that's not too old, but and then others are like, you're all like, that's old, right? You, some of you weren't born then, probably, uh, which is crazy to think about, by the way. But uh, during that time, what happened kind of during that time is that, as a lot of generations do, some people start to kind of reimagine what the church could look like, and uh, during that time period, there was actually like a big push to plant new churches. Uh, Gen X um like they they kind of began to reimagine what church could be and what it couldn't be and what it should be and and kind of started to reject some expressions of of their parents and and kind of like uh uh, those generations and tried to figure out like what 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 should church be like and so during this time what happens is there's a lot of kind of different expressions of of church that began to to pop up some of it was kind of under the umbrella of like uh, the emerging church and uh and so there's, like I said, there's all these different ex- expressions, and, and one of them, like, or some of them, where you kind of know if you're attending one of these churches by the church name, by the way. Because if the church name sounds like it could be like a bar, uh, a nightclub, <laughs> or a sports drink, um, you're probably attending a church that has been planted by Gen Xers or older millennials. And so let me give you like, some examples, like Elevation Church. Right? Some of you heard of that, like Refresh, Revamp, Relight, like any of those sorts of things. Mercy Road, iTown, Inspire, Catalyst, right? Like like that's how you kind of know like if you were swimming in some of these streams and when I was in college part of kind of like what appeared was a particular stream called the the emergent church and I really kinda like I dove in to a lot of their authors and a lot of kind of what was going on there, and and they were doing some kind of some some cool things. Like there were some positive things going on, and even some of it, like you'll you'll feel in our own church or these churches that were planted by these Gen Xers. Here's some of the positives from what I would say is the emergent church. It was that they cared about community. They, they wanted people to feel like they belonged, even if they didn't believe. Like they, they wanted people to know that hey, there's there's a, there's a place for you here among us another positive thing is that they, they allowed legitimate questions like if, if people had questions they kind of welcomed them like if you were if you were a seeker if you weren't real sure of some things like that was that that was embraced uh, a few other positives was that they wanted people to be real if you look at even some of our core values we we tell people that here that we would rather be real than relevant uh, we just like I'm not real cool I'll just tell you that right like we're I, I'm not a hipster, um, right? I, I like hipsters. Like it's cool if you're a hip, like this. Like tight jeans don't look good on me. Um, I can't sing. Uh, I'm not overly intellectual. Like all you know, or I don't pretend to be. I guess hopefully. Um, and another thing is that they emphasize some sincere belief and a life that like reflects Jesus. Uh, they really did want people's lives to look like and model after Jesus. So I was I was attracted to the kind of this movement and the stream and all of these sorts of things. But there's also what I would consider some problems especially among kind of some of the authors that were really driving the emergent church. So I'm just going to share some of those with you this morning. One and this is what I I discovered is that it became very hard to know who Jesus was because they had a very low view of the scriptures. And, and so there's always this constant well like yeah, the scriptures, say, like, you're supposed to become like Jesus. Well, this is what the scriptures say that Jesus is like. But, well, we can't really trust the scriptures. I was like, well, can you, can you come to know who Jesus is? Um, as, you know, you really begin to wrestle with some of what was going on. And, and because of that, like, this is kind of a really postmodern movement. So there was, it felt like there was, like, there was just very little truth. Um, their their a, a approach to faith then was kind of very difficult because meaning was very difficult to discern. Um, and postmodernism. if you're interested in that, I'm not going to get into a philosophy class this morning by why that is the case. And then kind of in general, what, what I discovered during this time was like doubt and deconstruction seemed to be celebrated while sincere belief seemed to be met with skepticism. And I remember kind of like swimming in these this stream and these authors and, and really attracted in some ways and like, oh, this is kind of new and this is... Kind of cool, and this is really interesting, but I, I remember kind of like graduating uh, from undergrad and by the way, like my plan was to go into ministry uh, i was I was going to be a pastor and what I discovered is that my faith was deconstructed uh, I honestly this is this is the truth like I honestly did not know really what to believe or who to believe in like my my faith kind of felt like it was in, in shatters, and I was struggling with it. Because here's why. You, you can't just, like, have faith in faith. Like, faith has to have an object. I remember a tattoo artist kind of discovering this one time. I've only been, I've only got one tattoo. Like, I'm a wimp. Uh, so I've only got one. Um, Pastor Nate, he's covered in them. So he's like, <laughs> right? Uh, he keeps them covered up when he's here on Sunday mornings, but he's got a lot of them. Uh, he's, like I said, he's cooler than I am. Uh, but I'm, I'm waiting to get my tattoo, and this uh, young lady was getting a tattoo done be, before us. And the tattoo artist, who seemed to be agnostic at best uh, from the conversations that were going on, uh, he's tattooing faith on this young lady's wrist, and he's going, "Okay, faith." He's like, "So are you a, a religious person, or you know, so you, you, you faith, value faith?" And she's like, "Yeah," and he goes, "So." Um, what do you have faith in? It was like a legitimate question he was asking. And she goes, oh, I just, I just like have have faith. Uh, And you could, you could see the tattoo artist kind of look at her and go, oh, that's cool. And shake his head and change the subject. Like faith has to have an object. Like we have to believe in someone or something. And, And so I remember like thinking after I graduated, like I needed my faith to be Reconstructed before I really probably thrive in in ministry because I'm supposed to be teaching people what to have faith in or who to have faith in. And so that's why I tell people all the time I moved 800 miles away from my family uh, to go to seminary and I had a really good experience there. And I, I tell you that not just so you can cling on to my journey, but just to let you know that I understand that your journey is different than mine and we're all on one and as we look at the wise men here, they do in a real way represent people who are on a journey. Uh, people who are on a journey to find Jesus. Like they, they represent seekers. And here's what I want us to see this morning is is that they welcome it. You know, there are times where like things are happening in our lives or with our faith and there's real struggles that take place and sometimes it makes it very difficult on you like it's a difficult place to be by the way if you felt called to ministry and you no longer are sure what you believe but these wise men they're on a journey they're on quite a long journey here and they they seem to just kind of embrace it let me talk a little bit about the wise men um go ahead and throw this map up here i just want to show you how far they travel to get to jesus as we think about our own journey now the wise men are probably from Babylon. We're told that they're they're from the east a, a number of times and tradition continues to tell us that they're from the east. This being the case they're most likely were from uh, Babylon and the kind of the Persian area which if you look at the map is kind of south of Baghdad there and as far as miles are concerned it's about 900 miles that they traveled to get to, G, to, get to Jesus. Now, we think that they're from this place, from the east and from Babylon here, because typically when the Bible refers uh, to the east or people being from the east after the exile, it's talking about Babylon in uh, this area here. And it would, make, it would have made a lot of sense for the wise men to have traveled over 900 miles from the east searching for Jesus because the, the Jewish Messiah would have been known here most likely by people like the wise men. Uh, you see uh, there was what, what we call exile. Those of you who aren't familiar with your Old Testament, what happens in the Old Testament is that the people of God in Israel they're exiled. A large number of them are exiled. This is kind of what happens to in the book of Daniel and you see this is who Jeremiah is speaking to and a number of prophets are speaking to. They're exiled to, to, to Babylon there and, you, and they're, they're under Babylon captivity and you would think like okay all these people are exiled and they're moved there. Well Maybe after the Babylonian Empire falls, or after the Persian Empire falls, so these empires that move out after they fall, that they would move back. Well, we're, they're there for several generations, and and not all of these empires after they get them there treat them poorly. Like some of them kind of integrate into society. Now, Jewish people generally remain Jewish, and together. But so you had this dysphoria or you had these groups of Jewish people and scholars and so forth in Babylon, and they would have been rubbing shoulders with the wise men here and so the wise men would have been influenced by the Jewish scholars in the Jewish community as such and so for the 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 wise men as we think about their travels and their conversations back and forth with the Jewish community their journey like this is an interesting journey to see and just how kinda long it takes but it's more than just a physical journey for them it's an intellectual journey for them they they are seeking uh, someone or something of spiritual and intellectual significance to them uh, let me talk about the uh, magi or the wise men a little bit these people are trained investigators of thought they are kind of men of the day they're, they're thinkers they're the people that you you go to if you had questions about things they were the philosophers of the Babylonian Empire and so they what they were doing is they were generally um, uh, astrologist and so they had some astronomy thrown in there with like math and also um, uh, some kind of r- religious teachings and all of this so they were all bringing all these theological insights and, and all the astronomy and all that into their field and so when they come to Babylon, or when they get, get to Jerusalem by the way um, we see them ask the question when they show up the first question they ask is where's the newborn King the King of the Jews we saw a star So they they say, we saw this star. Well, why would they have been looking for a star? Well, one, they're astrologists. But how would they have known that there was going to be a star in that area that would have pointed to a king? Well, they're rubbing shoulders with the Jewish um, intellectuals and religious community. And so what we know about our Old Testament here is that there are some prophecies that include a star. And one of them is in in Numbers. Numbers was written over a 1,000 years uh, before the wise men show up. And I guarantee you, the wise men would have wanted to know about what do their scriptures say about stars? What does it say about the astro? What does it say about astrology and the sky, the heavens, and all these sorts of things? And in Numbers, we have this prophecy of this king to come. And Balaam here is prophesying to the people of God back in Numbers, and he sa- and it, this is what he says: He says, "I see him, but not here and now. In other words, like I see him in the future. I perceive him." But far in the distant future, as a star will rise from Jacob, Jacob is Israel here, and a scepter will emerge from Israel. In other words, you have this star rising, this this figure that is going to be high and lifted up, and a scepter, this this kingly figure, is going to take place. And so in the scriptures, what we see is that this star rises what would be in the west for the magi as they are in the east. And it's, it's a star that they've never seen before. And they interpret it to being this this king or this heavenly figure. And so they set off on a journey to go find them. And so their curiosity and this miraculous sign and their studies actually are the thing that lead them to Jesus. And so these wise men, they they welcome this journey. They welcome what is going on. And here's what I kind of want you to see is that Jesus welcomes the wise men he's there they're included in this story for for a reason and for us one of the things that I think we need to be very sure of as we read a story like this is that that Jesus welcomes seekers that he welcomes people who are legitimately seeking after him and want to find him he welcomes people who have a spiritual hunger who are looking for someone or something greater than themselves looking for guidance and a king not of this world those looking for meaning and truth and purpose these these are what the wise men represent this is who they represent and so I want to take a look at the wise men here and I want us to just see like three things about them today as we think about our own journey or maybe people around us that we know that we're maybe praying for or inviting to church or sharing Jesus with here here are three of the things that I want us to know this morning as we look at the wise men but first is that the wise men are not the seekers we'd expect to play a central role in God's story these wise men are not the people we'd expect to play a central role in God's story uh, I use I've used the word Magi a number of times because they're actually the magois in the Greek and that's what they're known for in kind of uh, uh, less modern interpretations are, are Magi and the Magi in different and in, in, in general as you read through your Bible as you read through your Old Testament what you'll discover what you'll discover is that like they are deeply misguided people when it comes to trying to understand who God is and what God is doing in the world. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, they are mocked um, and derided. And actually, there are pro- there are prophets that you can read it in Isaiah and other prophets that are reminding the people of God, like, don't listen to them. They're, they're going to lead you astray. Uh, Daniel is actually one of the people that that mocked them. I showed you kind of where Daniel was from there at the beginning of that journal journey there. Da- Daniel lived in and Babylon, Daniel is actually one of the prophets that, that mock the Magi. Uh, Daniel was asked to uh, interpret a dream by Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember the story, or if you don't know the story, there you go. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, he's, he's the king, and uh, he is trying to ask his wise men, his Magi, to come in, and interpret his, his dream for him, and, and Daniel's basically going to say, like, hey, you all don't really know God. Like, the, the futures that you're looking into isn't, isn't from God. You guys, you don't have that gift. And he's, he's going to mock them. And this is what Daniel does in 2.27 of the book of Daniel. We see this, Daniel replying, There are no wise men, enchanters, or musicians, or fortune tellers, who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. In other words, like Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, but he doesn't really know what it means. So Daniel's going to interpret it to him. So Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, also is not somebody he would think like God would show up to. But God is showing up even to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, not a believer. He says, But Daniel says, now I will tell them your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. So Daniel says like all these magi, uh, uh, these wise men, that they, they don't actually worship God. They don't know God, and they're not going to be able to predict the things that I'm going to be able to to tell you here and um, so that's kinda of what happens in that story so we have these magi they're not the people that you would expect to show up to Jesus at the beginning of his story and so what we learned from this is that the, the people that are even mocked at times and like you wouldn't think that would come to Jesus or show up to Jesus that they aren't dismissed in Jesus story those, those, those of you or those of you who know have a past or maybe even on orthodox beliefs, right, for those of us who like, hey, like, this is what you need to believe and have to believe, and this is where you're at. Like, I'm an orthodox Christian, like, that's, like, that's me. Like, sometimes God is showing up in people's lives, and we don't realize what he's doing. But if you are from the wrong country, you're from, these, these, are, these are people, by the way, these magi are from the wrong race, uh, they've been raised to believe the wrong things and yet what we see here is that they're clearly being drawn to Jesus that they these guys are embraced here as as true seekers and what you're supposed to see when you read this story when we read stories a lot of different things are going on here they're told on purpose they're in our Bibles on purpose the Magi story the wise men's story is contrasted with the 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 uh, um, excuse me Herod and the priest so you have the, the the wise men and then you have Herod and the priest in this story. And what we see Herod and the priest being are pretenders. So the wise men, they're the real seekers. But you have Herod and the priest who are sending the wise men to Bethlehem, which, by the way, is only five miles away from where they live. Like, so Jesus is right under their nose. And they're going to reject Jesus. Herod was known as kind of the ruler of the Jews and he was he was a half-Jew and half-Idiomite and so he was Jewish, right? Uh, I don't know if that's culturally insensitive or not, but um, I've got a friend who, he says he's quarter Jew, so he's Jewish. Uh, I, he's not as upset by it, so um, you don't need to be. <laughs> How about that? But he, he wasn't liked for a number of reasons, in, in, in general by the population. Uh, one is because he, he was kind of the king of the area, but he ruled under Rome. He ruled under Rome. And, and so he, as he collected taxes, nobody really likes paying taxes. I don't care who you are. But so he, as, as he collected taxes, some of it went to him and some of it went to Rome, who was over Jerusalem. And as he's uh, collecting these taxes and stuff, he also, though, he kind of wants to throw the Jewish people a bone. Uh, he wants to win them to his side. And so one of the things that he does is he builds them a temple. So if you've ever heard of the second temple, um, Herod is the one who built it. He built the temple for the Jewish people to come and worship. So when the Magi are traveling to Jerusalem, they know all about the temple. I mean, this temple is a massive structure. It's where Jews from all over the world would have even traveled. People would have left Babylon every once in a while to go to the temple. And so you have have Herod who is really kind of in a way trying to to buy these people is what he's doing and their allegiance. Uh, And yet uh, what you see is that when the God of the temple is going to be born and show up, he is going to reject him. He's going to kill him or try to kill him. Well, why? Because Jesus, Jesus represents a threat to his power. You know, he, Jesus is the, is the rightful king. And so he believes that as Jesus grows, as this person grows, he's going to grow up. And what people are going to do is they're going to be, they're going to be more devoted to Jesus than they are to Herod, his own people, and so he rejects Jesus. The other group that are pretenders, as I said, are the priests; they're the they're, they're religious people. We're told that uh, Herod and everyone in Jerusalem was was deeply troubled, and, and really everyone there. This is where you need to use context, and and this is where like study comes into play. Is that the everyone actually probably just refers to like the priests, the people in Herod's courts. Here. It's probably not everyone. I mean, the, the news really probably hasn't even gotten out at this point out of the courts. They're, you know, if you think about the story, the, the Magi, they're 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 asking Herod where to find the King of the Jews that is born, and so the, the priests are terrified. They're deeply troubled. Well, why would they be deep, deeply troubled? Well, they work for Herod. I mean, they've cozied up to Herod here. I mean, they, like his his power, like even like they get to be a part of what is going on. And so if, if there is another king, like will this other king displace them? Will, will they lose their place of prominence? Or even Herod's crazy. And I'm not making that up. Like Herod was crazy. He killed his own kids a couple years after this because he was afraid they were going to take power. So the priests and the people under him, they could have just been scared. Like if we don't give him what he wants and we don't continue to make him supreme, Like, bad things will happen to us. And so what happens here is that you have the magi. They're coming to Jesus. They're ready to worship. They're going to bow and worship. But then you have Herod and the priest who, by the way, are making sacrifices in the temple. Or they're sharing God with other people. And they they fall woefully short of meeting the God that has come to them. They fall woefully short of being willing to follow him at all. And I, I share that because, like, some people, like, they're deconstructing, like, they're, they're, they're kind of losing their faith, maybe because they're, they're reading some authors that, that I've read or whatever. Uh, but the truth is, some people are, are seeking or they're after Jesus, and they, they see people who, like, they, they should know who Jesus is. Like, they should be ready for him. They should be willing to follow him. But sometimes it's so easy like hey I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be committed to a, a person my power a political movement and all of these things more than King Jesus now if that's you and you're seeing that you like you're looking at the church and like they're they're more concerned about all of that let me speak to you just for one one quick second all right that might be true about people some people In the church, like I I don't, you know, I I don't know who is more committed to personalities, power, political parties, all of those sorts of things. Um, But here's my hope for you: is that you don't put your hope in those people. Like, they are not the king. Like, even like, don't put your hope in me. Right, I'm gonna mess up. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't walk away because his people aren't always great. I never asked you to be like his people. Right? Seek after Jesus. Second, second thing we see the wise men here embrace. Uh, they embrace signs, and they're open to the scriptures. They embrace signs, and they're open to the scriptures. Uh, you see, they understood the star to to be a sign. And not just a sign, they believed the star to be a sign from God. They believed that God was moving them to him through the star. I I personally find it interesting all the time why people tell me they came to faith. Or how God led them to him. Half the time, I'm like, you're crazy. Like, there's no way, right? Or, you know, yeah, I won't go into all that. But sometimes I, I honestly think about that. But then I'm thinking, Then you think like, well, wait a second. Uh, God spoke to a donkey. Um, I won't say the word we were saying earlier. But <laughs> God spoke through a donkey, right? To bait, like, so uh, he could do credible things, like to get God. To, like, so I don't know what has moved you or kind of h- helped you take a step closer to Jesus or journey to Jesus. But don't dismiss it. Like I try not to dismiss it. Right? I try not to. Uh, The second thing, though, I do want you to see, because this is what I had to come to to realize, too, in my own journey, was it wasn't just signs. It wasn't just, like, uh, philosophy. It wasn't just thought. The Scriptures helped lead me to Jesus. The Scriptures helped point me to Jesus. And, by the way, the wise men were open to this. When they get to Jerusalem, Jesus is not born in Jerusalem. Jesus isn't living in Jerusalem. They inquire. They go to Herod, and they, they go to the priest. And they say, like, what do your scriptures say? And here's what they say. They said, they, they quote, basically, uh, they, not basically, they do. They quote Micah 5, 2, when they say, in Bethlehem in Judea. For they said, this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, and he will be a shepherd to my people of Israel. This is a prophecy that was made 700 years before the birth of Jesus and so there was this expectation that the scriptures were going to show us where the messiah or where Jesus was going to be born and they 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 took these guys at their word oh that's what the the scriptures say and that's what they mean so we're going to go to bethlehem it doesn't make sense the temples in jerusalem but we're going to go and so i'll tell you like one of our goals as a church is to be biblically serious but seriously humble I, I I I, I don't know. A, I have a relationship with Jesus, but if I learn things about Jesus that seem to contradict what's in the scriptures, like I'm probably getting it wrong. I, I just I just let you know that like I'm I'm probably getting the people who wrote the script they knew Jesus or they knew the people who knew Jesus, and, and so that's that's where I go to to find him. I mean, that's, that's how we know that God is love. That's how we know all of these things that we celebrate here today. Jesus himself, he's praying. By the way, you know, he's, he wants his people to be like him. Uh, he wants his people to be like God, and he's praying for this. And this is his prayer. is He has a simple prayer. I mean, it's a long prayer, but part of it's really simple. He says, Father, sanctify them in your truth. And then he goes on to say, your word is truth. So he's he's praying we would we would know his word and that we become like him by understanding his his truth. And so, the the wise men they they follow the sign and also uh, they embrace scripture. And the third and final point is this: the wise men are w- willing to worship Jesus even though they don't understand the full picture. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to kind of move up here. But one of the things that you need to know, and every single commentator points out this to be true, they are in front of Jesus, and they really do not know the full picture at all, they do not know what Jesus is going to teach, they do not know that Jesus is going to go to the cross, they do not know that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, they do not know that we're going to celebrate Christmas where we are waiting for Jesus to come back and make all things new, they don't understand, and they don't know any of that, here is what they know, that Jesus brings them joy, that, that Jesus gives them hope, and this is without all the pictures. They don't have the full picture that we have, but they get to Jesus, and for whatever reason, they're they're compelled to worship him. They, they, they feel called to worship him. Um, I try not to... Uh, you know throw a whole lot of authors under the bus just because i don't want to deal with a lot of that um, but you know one of the one of the authors that i was reading i found him to be very interesting and by the way i actually hung out with him uh one day down in birmingham because he was down there teaching and some friends wanted to go see him and his name was peter rollins interesting guy um he's irish so like anybody with an irish accent or english accent like if they're halfway smart they even sm- sound like 10 times smarter than what they actually are and so you like, you're drawn to those personalities, right? And uh, one of his taglines and one of his books was uh, to believe is human, to doubt is divine. And so like, he kind of did a really good job of kind of encapsulating that kind of movement a little bit. Um, but really when you get into the, the scriptures and what Jesus is calling to us to, and that's what I had to come to realize, is like, no, that's not true. Like, to believe is divine. To doubt is human. You all have doubts, I have doubts at times. It's okay, right? But, but to actually believe, to really believe in a way that you're willing to, to give your life to Jesus, that you're willing to travel 900 miles on foot, that you're, 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 you're willing to try to allow your heart, mind, and soul to be transformed into Jesus' likeness. That's what it means to really believe. Like, that's divine. That's divine. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And so if you're here this morning and you know that, like keep seeking Jesus. I had a friend, Josh, over here earlier. We had breakfast with him yesterday. He said, hey, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Keep believing. Keep seeking after Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning. You're on a journey. You're welcome here. I'm going to make some statements about Jesus. I'm going to call you to faith, right? You don't have to believe it. Like, you, you go at your own pace, but you're welcome here. Jesus tells us to, to knock, right, and to seek, and he's going to answer. But here's, here's really the kind of the cool thing about all this. When we think about being seekers and seeking Jesus is that Jesus is seeking us. We often think that we're the ones kind of going after God and we're trying to understand who God is and, and uh, yeah, doing all the work, right? But the truth is, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, He came to seek and save the lost. And I will tell you there are times in my life where I have felt lost and I've been thankful for Jesus. And I hope if that's you this morning that you'll receive Jesus. Here's how we're going to end. I'm not going to pray. We're going to worship. It's like the wise men did. Just stand with me. They nailed. You can nail if you want. Uh, And worship. This morning.